Hi everyone, thanks for stopping by our table of disappointment. This is How They Got Away, the show where we discuss the unsatisfying endings to your favorite unsolved or unpunished true crime and corporate greed stories. Today, we're celebrating the spookiest day of the year with some spooky stories that may make you think twice about that bump in the night. I'm your host today, Kelsey, with our other host... And our one spookified listener. Annalise. Anna, hi everybody, it's me again. I love to be surprising. Let's get to a little bit of background. So, Eureka Springs, where the Crescent Hotel resides, was established in 1879 in the Ozark Mountains in Arizona. It is surrounded by mountains, lush forests, and natural springs, and those springs are considered to have healing properties. So before Eureka Springs, this was home to several indigenous peoples, so bad start. As is Mm. everything else in America. As are many things. To quote the Crescent Hotel website, news of this mystical place spread, drawing people from far and wide in search of solace and rejuvenation. No mention about where these indigenous people went who were already living there. No. Don't question it. Of course not. We just cover that up. Don't question it. Sweep it under the rug. Uh, But by 1880, the population of Eureka was up to 15,000 people. They're booming. They're booming. And Governor Powell Clayton, in collaboration with the Eureka Springs Improvement Company, saw an opportunity and made Eureka Springs a tourist destination. And they did this by bringing in the Frisco Railroad, and they built the Crescent Hotel atop Crescent Mountain. This hotel was an architectural masterpiece. It had breathtaking views, luxurious accommodations, and quickly became an exclusive because capitalism. Mmm, capitalism, my favorite slash S. But there was some progressive stuff in the air because between the years 1920 and 1934, it also became Crescent College, giving education to women, being a college in the winter months and a resort in the summer. Now, what do we think that they taught at this college? I'm honestly not sure. Women who got education during this time would have been like richer so something that would have been important to rich ladies hospitality Mm. reading and writing definitely i don't know if they would have been taught any math some literature poetry maybe i don't know event event coordination maybe yeah But this college had a reputation for commitment to excellence and became a paragon for women's education and empowerment, and people would come from across the country to go here. Real girl boss moment. Oh, you know what? They might have taught stenography. Oh. Mm. Yeah. That would have been right around this time. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, thus far, stealing land from indigenous people is not great, but not exactly a isolated incident for this hotel so this kind of sounds like a pretty normal place well in 1937 things get a little a little weird a little creepy uh the hotel was bought by norman baker who opened up the baker cancer clinic this man was a 
visionary healer who could cure people of cancer and had a hundred percent cure rate and everybody who came into his hotel would be cured and I don't think I need to tell you that's not how this works. That is very snake oil salesman. Yes, he had a formula that you were supposed to drink that would cure you of all your ills. He even claimed to be able to cure other things, not just cancer. Literally anything and everything he could get people to pay money for him to cure, he claimed he could cure Oh, for sure. Because he wants that money, money, money. Cancer was just his specialty. Money, money, money. That was his specialty. He, while owning the hotel, made several renovations, including a hidden staircase in his first floor office. Now, I'm all for a secret tunnel, but I feel like it says something about you as a businessman that you think you need a hidden staircase in your office in case, I don't know, maybe somebody is looking for you? You need an escape plan. Exactly. Also, lavender-colored walls His Ownership of the hotel was marked by a lot of lavender-colored walls. I don't know if that was his favorite color. I don't know if he was purporting that the color had healing properties. He just was known for that. And also uh, the morgue, which would be used to store dead patients before they could be transferred for burial. There might have been some kind of room that was used for as a morgue during its time as a hotel. I mean, people do die in hotels. That happens. But it would have seen a lot of use during this time because I don't know if I need to tell you, but cancer patients who receive no treatment tend to die. That happens. We know this. Yeah, and it makes sense for a clinic or a hospital to have a morgue. That's just what happens. It's what they have. Interesting for a guy who had a 100% success rate to have yeah. a morgue because theoretically you wouldn't need a morgue because no one's dying on your watch. No, that'd be crazy. You really went like, oh, you're built different, but like in the worst way. Oops. Yeah, you you just didn't follow his instructions properly because it has to be a you problem because it's never a Norman Baker problem. In 1940, he would be arrested for mail fraud and he could be his own corporate great episode. But this story is not about him. So we are just going to move on. Just know that this man was wild in. Okay, but I want to know what the mail fraud was. I think it was, I think it was him claiming that certain people were still alive and eliciting money from either the government or family members. That's what oh, I think it was. Sense. That probably sounds about right then, being like, oh, yeah, Graham Graham is totally alive, kicks her body under the stairs. Yeah, she's fine. Send her the money. Send me the, you, you, you know, to, hmm. That's sick and Yeah, twisted. you could just make it out to me. You know how her eyes are. She can't read it. So, you know, you just send it to Cost me. Cost of treatment. Mm-hmm. I'll mm-hmm. read her the letters. Don't worry about it. Throws them in the fire. So, obviously, he lost the hotel. Um, it would be bought again and turned into a hotel again. And then things were pretty quiet until 1967 when a fire caused by faulty wiring destroyed the penthouse level and the fourth floor, which would require extensive repairs. And then the hotel kind of changed hands a few times. Nothing super crazy after that. In 1997, it would be bought by Marty and Elisa Rognick. That's my best attempt at pronunciation. Who, for some reason, give me the Shining vibes. I think it's just because their, like, photo on the website is them sitting on, like, kind of old-fashioned stairs. She's got a red sweater. It's, like, the 90s. 
I'm sure they're perfectly nice, but they're also in a hotel and it just... Yeah, it's the vibe of the hotel. Anything that has to do with the hotel, you're going to start associating with a kind of creepy vibe. For sure. Yeah. Uh, but they announce a 10-year restoration plan to return the hotel to its former glory, make it historically accurate, resplendent. And they put in a lot of renovations into this hotel, and they're still owners to this day. Aw. Good for them. And their dog. And their dog. They have a dog in the photo. He seems very sweet. So this is a hotel that you can visit and stay in today. You can go and relive the hotel's glory days. But many people come here for one of the year-round ghost tours that the hotel provides in the most haunted areas. Here are a few of the most haunted areas and the stories of the hotel. Know that it is not an exhaustive list. Mm. We're going to start in room 218, which is supposedly the most haunted, the most spiritually active room in the hotel. So according to legend, Irish stonemason Michael fell to his death during the hotel's construction in the 1880s. He is known to hang out in room 218 to this day. And people see all kinds of activity when staying in here because I believe this room is open to stay in. Is the crazy part, or at least it was. It's it probably would be. I mean, the amount of people who want to have spiritual encounters, That's as long true. as they're not getting hurt, they probably issue a warning. It's very true. And Michael doesn't seem to hurt anybody, but what he does do is people will often report seeing mirror uh, hands coming out of the mirror, mm. cries of a falling man in the ceiling. I would assume he had fallen when they were building this floor, so he would have been on top of this floor. And the door opening, then slamming shut, and then being stuck shut. That is the one thing that I'm like, maybe they wouldn't let people stay in here. If people get stuck in here, that might be a problem. Oh, true. True. What I find interesting is the fact that, like, the doors opening and slamming shut, because in the way that I think a lot of us hear about spirits is that they reenact what they were doing day to day or things that happened to them or even, you know, possibly their death. So falling from the ceiling makes sense. I don't know why he's messing with the door, maybe putting a door on, but that seems weird if they're making the structure. I don't know. The thing with it for me is that it's kind of an impression versus a poltergeist. Poltergeist. So like an impression would be something like, oh, something that a person did a lot in this area and like that's just kind of still there, an impression of that energy that somebody did. And then mm. death, that's going to be a lot of energy. We see that a lot. You know, someone's still falling to this day. The door thing speaks more poltergeisty to me. True. Or maybe they were inspecting the door a lot. Maybe he was known to slam doors shut as like a prank. I don't know. When you mentioned the impressions thing, now I'm like, oh, what if it's like, you know how they were still building the room? That part of the wall or whatever is already made. So maybe it's like someone running in like, oh, my God, Michael's dead kind of deal. I don't know. Um, I'm still thinking about the hands coming out of the mirror. Like, that's just some horror movie shit. Hello? That is horror movie shit. Like, like, if you said that you'd seen that to me, I'd have been like, what horror movie did you watch before going to bed? Like, yeah. Like, oh, screaming, hearing the doors open and close, and sometimes they get a little stuck because, you know, in old places with wooden doors, humidity kind of gets us stuck like that. But the hands? 
Um, I've got no explanation for the hands. That's like, that's so sick and twisted. It could maybe be like him reaching through what would have been an open area for like to grab a brick or a stone or a tool maybe. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting that it's the mirror of all things. And mirrors are so often, like there's always spooky energy around a mirror, you know? Reflections of Mm -hmm. the soul. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess it depends on where the mirror is placed too, because at least I don't know the layout of this room. So we could just be like, oh, it's what they kind of did. Like maybe moments before he decided to go up on another floor, like maybe he was building around that area and then he just did that a lot for some reason. I don't know. That's still goofy. Mirrors are also often considered to be like portals. Mm-hmm. So it could be something like that. It's just like a weak point where someone in the spiritual world could reach through to the physical but i've also like a hand reaching through a mirror is not like a super common haunty thing like it's not unheard of but i feel like that's not like one of the common ghosty things you hear about yeah who's to say Moving down into the crystal dining room where in the corner you will see our table of disappointment but also a lot of ghostly activity Staff have claimed to have encountered playful spirits in Victorian dress a lot in this room. That would match up with uh, the height of this hotel as well. That's kind of when a lot of activity would have been happening in this event room. Dining rooms are often doubling as ballrooms and event rooms for these Mm. times. One holiday season, the dining room was closed. No one was supposed to be in here. They have a Christmas tree. It's the holiday season. There's a Christmas tree. There's packages underneath. It's looking very Christmas, very aesthetic. They go to bed. They come down next morning. The entire Christmas tree, and this is not your little suburban family Christmas tree. This is a several foot tall tree, huge tree, all decorated, moved to the other side of the room. All of the packages that were underneath it are also moved underneath the tree and then chairs from the dining room are placed circling the tree facing it as if a bunch of people had come to sit and talk around the Christmas tree the circle was them talking shit (laughs) not around the Christmas tree that's really funny could you imagine them being like oh what marvelous work we did now everyone sit around in this circle and we are going to discuss the marvelous things we did and the horrendous things they did last. Like, I don't know. I think that's really funny to me. Like, it's a little, it's a little gathering. I feel like that's something we don't really do anymore. Like, not, we sit around the room mm. that the Christmas tree is in, but sitting around a Christmas tree is definitely more of a Victorian mm. era thing than it is a today thing. But that's something people would have done. That's giving to me, you know, sometimes when there's like a story of a ghost who isn't aware that they're a ghost and is suddenly like, able to interact yeah. with their world, they're like, oh, that's not where we put the Christmas tree. It goes over there. Like, who would put it over there? So people would, of course, like, move it back where to where it's supposed to be and then kind of just sit and chill and chat about the tree around the Christmas tree. That would have been something very normal for them to do. It's giving very, like, have you ever seen the horror movie The Others? I haven't, no. I have not either, no. You've got to watch it. It's so good. I won't spoil it, but there's a lot of ghosts and there's a lot of people and they're not always aware of each other. It's giving very that, though, for you listeners who have seen the others because you're people of taste. Okay. Okay. This is, <laughs> this is far from the only activity in this room. The Another morning, the dining room, completely as they'd left it, 
Except, somebody had taken all of the menus and scattered them around the entire room. Because they didn't like the menu change. They don't like the menu change. I didn't see any information about whether or not they had changed the menu previous, like recently, to this incident. That would have been a really interesting tidbit to have, though, if that was the case. That would be pretty funny, though. A waitress claims to have looked into the huge mirror, another mirror, between the dining room and the kitchen. You know, she's walking past, she's doing her thing, and then she just happens to look over at the mirror, and she sees a man and a woman in Victorian garb facing each other as if they were at a wedding, like as if they, as if they were exchanging vows. The groom turned, made eye contact with the waitress, and then the couple faded away. The waitress quit soon after. Which I get. Yeah, I would too. I'm a big scaredy cat. I'm a big scaredy cat. I would have quit. Also, what was that look about? Was it like, oh, I've seen something I'm not supposed to? Was it like, you're next, but in a creepy way, not like in a fun romantic wedding way? What was that? I mean, she did like kind of walk in upon them. So they're probably just like, oh, we thought everyone was here. Oh my God, who is that? And then dissipate because they're just like, oh, that's so scary. A commoner. I don't know. A photographic ah. one. You're not my Aunt Teresa. You're not Aunt Teresa. The, again, thinking about this area of the hotel, and it would have been used for a lot of events, uh, especially for the elite, for the gentry, mm. it wouldn't be crazy to think a wedding might have been held here at some point. Maybe also another... And again, mirrors. Very interesting. Very weird. Very interesting. <laughs> crazy. Another commonly reported incident is a man, again in Victorian garb, sitting at a table near the window. And when people go up to this man and go, hey, can I get you something? Or, hey, you're not supposed to be here. He will speak to people and he will say that he had seen the most beautiful woman there the night before and that he was waiting here for her to return, which is simultaneously the most romantic and perhaps the most tragic ghost story ever. Is she in the hotel still? Is her ghost around the hotel? Do they reenact their reuniting every night? Or has she passed on and he is still waiting for her? That's so sad. No, I like to... I like to imagine that they reunite and they dance the night away together. I think it's funny that that's kind of like his unfinished business, quote unquote, because this guy could have like lived for a while and then died at old age or something else. And he's like, I am still thinking about that beautiful woman I saw in the lobby. And she might not even notice him at all. And that makes me so sad. A missed connection. Oh, but that's such a cute thought, though, because maybe, maybe this is the moment that he met his wife and that, like, when he passed on, this oh was God, such an right. important moment for him that he revisits okay, it. Okay, that's a... Isn't that... I choose to believe that version That is of a lot story. better than what I initially thought, where it's like, oh, she never acknowledges him or whatever, and he's like, I wonder who that pretty lady walking down We're the lobby is. We're romantics here. No, it's just a very special moment I think that's very nice. Haunted mansion. It's who? beautiful. And it's... Haunted mention who? And it's funny you mentioned dancing the night away, Annalise, because many people see apparitions in Victorian-esque ball attire dancing around the room in the early morning when the room is closed and dark. There's partying. So it's clearly... Yeah, there's there were clearly a lot of events, a lot of balls, a lot of parties in this room, and some of them still... You can still feel the energy. Moving up the stairs to room 419... Theodora, one of the cancer patients, is sometimes seen fumbling for her keys outside of this room. Clearly, this room had belonged to her. 
She is known to once again speak to guests. This is another ghost that interacts with other people and exchanges pleasantries, introducing herself as a cancer patient of Dr. Baker's before vanishing. Because she does not vanish without introducing herself that would be She rude. was raised with manners. She's polite. And she does not seem to mind having guests in her room. She is also known to tidy the belongings of guests staying in the room when they leave the room. You know, putting the shoes away, hanging up clothes. I don't know if she hangs up clothes, but she at least straightens things up, maybe makes the bed. And when people are like, hey, uh, has cleaning, housekeeping been in? They're like, no, that's just Theodora. Oh, just so nice. A nice little guest. See, that's the kind of ghost that I would accept into my home. Polite, cleans up after themselves. They're very nice. Won't scare me in the middle of the night. This gives me Omni Parker hotel vibes because of one of the, ma not managers, one of the owners. I always forget which one it is because there's not like a physical thing for me to read. So it's one of the owners where uh, he had OCD, so he would kind of like, take people's things but like sort it nicely so he'd put your shoes nicely he'd like organize all the money in your wallet and put it out like you'd be like oh my god where's my money and then you whip over to the table and you're like oh my god it's all there i don't know that's just like very a little strange but it's very benevolent our next story doesn't really have a specific location in the hotel it seems to happen just about everywhere but it's interesting Four-year-old child of Richard and Mary Breckenridge Thompson, who nicknamed Brecky, probably from Breckenridge, died due to appendicitis complications in the hotel, which is very sad, only four, but he seems to still be residing in the hotel. He's often seen bouncing a ball through the halls of the hotel. It gives me very, that one BuzzFeed Unsolved boy with the ball with Ryan vibes. Boy with yeah, the ball. goes to his name. Something about like ghost children is very common. It kind of gives this idea that like little children maybe get confused and don't realize that they're dead mm. or don't care and just kind of vibe. I think it's very interesting how many ghost children stories there are. Which is a little sad. He's having a good time. This one's kind of cute because he's like, you know how little kids just like wander around wherever they want? Like he's just kind of exploring, doing his own little thing and playing with a ball. It's kind of spooky. I would also shit myself, but that's nothing compared to Michael. Um, I don't know. I think this one's kind of cute because, uh, you know, little kids are just like, I want to explore. And he's just like wandering. He's exploring. So Most of the ghosts in this hotel seem to be pretty chill. Pretty vanilla. Which, which is so nice. Which is nice. That's is, what you want. If you're going to yeah. have a house full of ghosts, you want them to be pretty chill. <laughs> Another room, room 212, so just a few doors down from room 218, where Michael lives, Dr. Fre John Fremont Ellis, who was once the hotel's in-house doctor in the late 19th century, is still to this day sometimes seen outside his office, now room 212, or smelled. He was apparently known for his cherry pipe tobacco, so now to this day sometimes you may not see him, but you may smell a whiff of cherry pipe tobacco smoke passing that room that i might be able to explain as a like he smoked in that room so often that it's kind of in the walls it's in the wood and maybe mm. like the temperature increases or decreases and releases some of that smell i could maybe explain that away with like a logical i cannot explain why you're seeing a 19th century doctor in victorian garb wandering around that room can't explain that one true true this next one is so weird in such a funny way this is the only report of this happening 
just to this one couple. But in the governor's suite, apparently a couple was sleeping. It was the middle of the night. And the husband kept waking up to somebody tucking them into bed. Like, this happened multiple times in the night that somebody would, like, pull the duvet up and, like, like physically tuck <laughs> them in, like, around their bodies, like, the bed. And I'm like, that's such a nice thing to do. <laughs> That is just so nice. Day. He wants them to have good dreams. But also so creepy. Yeah, multiple times. I get it if you're like, once, but then the ghost was like, you keep wiggling under them covers. Yeah, I don't know if they were kicking off the covers and the ghosts kept feeling like they needed to do it. Or if it's, like again, one of those impression things. Like somebody had done that a bunch and like was tucking, just repeating the action. I don't know what this was. Nobody else seems to report this happening to them in the governor's suite or otherwise. I don't know what this was about. Maybe the ghost just really liked these two and was like, they need to get snuggled I don't know, in. someone who works at the place tucking patients in. It's weird that it's only happened once. I don't think you do. Oh, I was. I didn't even think about how a nurse might tuck in a patient. I was just thinking hotel staff do not do that <laughs> for guests. No, but I'm thinking like a, a nurse. Yeah, whether it was a clinic. Oh, you're right. But it's also the governor's suite, though. Because it's like, is there anything particular happening in that room? I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot going on with this hotel, so maybe it all matches together. Weird. Only seemed to have happened to this couple, but it was too weird not to mention. The humans aren't the only ones whose spirits still reside in this hotel, though, because Morris the cat. Oh who was known as the hotel general manager for 21 years, died here and was buried on hotel property. I mean, he lived to 21. That's pretty good for a cat. Is regularly seen around the the hotel, regularly heard as well. This reminds me of, I went to a friend's house recently and they had a cat. I knew them. I knew this cat. And then the cat passed away. And I went to their house recently. And I swear, I was like, did they get a new cat? Because I'm hearing meowing. Like, I'm hearing a cat meow. And they are they don't have a cat anymore, guys. Dear readers, they have no cat. There are no felines and on this property. I, keep, like, I was like, they got a new cat. I don't know where it is, but they have a cat. I'm hearing it. So I could see this. I don't know what ghost cats are about. But clearly, Morris loves this hotel. And is still general manager. And he has questions about whether or not you can cover the shift on Tuesday. For sure. My college had a bunch of haunting stories. And one of them was for one of the dorm rooms where it was said that there was a cat who would kind of like steal your shoes if you let them in the hallway. Would like play with the like shoelaces and drag them away. Oh my god, that's such a great story. Oh my god. It's so good. (laughs) Did you ever try it out? Um, it wasn't my dorm room. It was my friend's ah. dorm room. We did not try it out, though. So should have. Oh. Should have. Missed opportunity. My next thing, it's not really a place. It's not really a person. It's something, a phenomenon that seems to happen. There is a spot, mostly on the third floor, though it seems to happen in other places as well, but on the third floor mainly of the hotel, where it connects to an annex that was built onto the hotel during... Baker's cancer scam. This area, I do not know why I believe one of the paranormal investigators that have come here over the years has made this claim that this area is a portal to the other side. Many guests become faint near this area, not feeling dizzy, like fully hit the wall, slide down, passed out. Oof. Yikes. 
And then they come back. They come to very quickly. They're fine. But it's very interesting that that seems to happen to many people in this area. And it seems to happen in bursts. Like, it doesn't always happen. There seems to be, like, incident clusters where it'll happen several times over a few weeks or a few months. And then none none at all for a while. And then it'll start back up again. Which, to me, kind of makes it seem less likely that people are faking this because if people were faking this it would be more consistent i feel like Mm -hmm. it's when the veil thins between the two worlds i would love to see like a map out a timeline of when the these incidents happen versus times of the year versus like a lunar cycle versus a pagan cal like are there any connections to anything that would be very interesting for me but and people go in the ghost store. The ghost store stops here and people still like have faintings and it's fine. But I, you have to like sign a release, I think, to be like, yeah, I'm cool with passing out possibly. I can't imagine fully passing out like that. A lot of crazy stuff. Paranormal investigators have been to this hotel over and over again trying to capture activity and explain why there seems to be so much activity in this hotel. Because, sure, Michael fell to his death, Brecky died of appendicitis, but a lot of these, like, usually, as we were talking about earlier, ghosts, the hauntings seem to happen around, like, a traumatic event or a tragic loss or death. Some of these just seem to be, like, a lot of impressions in one area, and that's not be super usual to have so many in one area so they're trying to find an explanation for this and some believe that the limestone that it, the crescent mountain is predominantly made up of is the cause they believe that limestone has the ability to absorb and release electromagnetic and psychic energy so they think that the fact that the crescent hotel is built on this mountain that's mostly limestone is the reason that so much ghostly activity happens here that's really interesting. I've never heard that about limestone or particular kind of materials like that. I've never heard that yeah. either. I think I we do know that some different stones have like electroconductive properties. Like that's a geological mm. thing. Interesting, if true. <laughs> interesting, if true. <laughs> So I know this has gone on for a while and I want to move on to Annalisa's story, but I do have one thing that we have got to talk about. We cannot not talk about it. Crazy. In 2019, a secret bottle grave, which is just a bunch of bottles buried, was discovered in the woods near the hotel. I do not know how deep these were buried because there are hundreds of these bottles. They had to do a full certified archaeological dig to pull up lots of these bottles of full of some full of baker's secret formula which he may have been trying to get rid of so that somebody wouldn't go looking Mm -hmm. as well as jars containing medical specimens Mm. due to the sheer number of bottles they found many are still in this in the ground after this dig they just couldn't take them all And testing is still ongoing to determine exactly what is in these bottles. They're still trying to figure out, like, hey, what was in this formula that you you had, dude? But also best guess for the medical specimens that they are excised tumors from Baker's patients. Yeah. So weird. Baker is a weird dude. And there seems to be no information about if these, they think these were buried over a period of time 
or if it was one big go like he was like oh no they're gonna arrest me i gotta like bury all of these so no one can find the evidence kind of a thing crazy and deborah the duchess who manages the nightly ghost tours at this hotel says that activity has picked up in this area sorry that activity has picked up in mostly the morgue area when the hotel was a hospital since this discovery something about unearthing these bottles seems to have upped activity in the morgue area where cancer patients would have been held after they passed away she says that now since this discovery a dark figure has been seen in the morgue area and there has been an increase in cold spots and reports of people being touched in this area i want to know why she's called the duchess I, I think that's kind of like her go, her persona thing. I don't know. You will have to go and schedule a ghost tour if you want to meet Deborah. But yeah, things were disturbed that yeah, things were not particular activity. Sure. It's interesting to me that it only seems to be in the morgue that activity is picked up, which kind of connects with the cancer patient thing. But it's interesting that it's only in the morgue. I do wonder that if these specimens were taken from the corpses. Of I imagine but... at least some of them were. Actually, probably most of them. But also, why are you putting those in jars, dude? I don't know. What are you doing that for? He's a weird fucking dude. Baker's a, a weird dude. Freak, or Baker. Baker. Whatever. Yeah. Baker would probably be weird, and I don't know. I feel like he might also do, you know, living ones, too, to be like, oh, I'm just going to take this to, like, compare. Don't worry about me. And everyone's just like. I don't think I've said it. I have to be clear. I do not think this man was a doctor in any way. Like, had no medical training. That's why we're not calling him Dr. Baker. Medical training. Imagine. No, I purposefully am not calling him Dr. Baker. Even if he had medical training. Mr. Baker. I have no authority but revoked for this. One thing is for sure, the otherworldly guests at the Crescent Hotel show no signs of wanting to check out any time soon. So our next story is about Dead Woman's Crossing, which is the actual name of a highway underpass in Weatherford, Oklahoma, that is said to hold the spirit of a woman, hence the name. So the way I like to imagine this is that there's kind of like a creek where that underpass is. So I like to imagine that we are sitting at a table there. It's foggy. I have an image up for um, our friends recording today um, of the highway underpass. It's very spooky looking. It's very creepy. The Mm. fog really gets it. We are the trolls under the bridge. We're the trolls under the bridge. Yeah, of course I'm doing a bridge. Anyway, (laughs) you would do a bridge. I actually, I saw your other one and I was like, no bridge? Because I didn't look at the picture, but now I see it. Bridge. (laughs) It's a bridge. No bridge? (laughs) So our story starts with a woman named Kathy Dwight James, who was age 29 at the time of this. On July 7th, she had just filed for divorce from her abusive husband the day prior and was boarding a train. She was getting out of there. That's the most dangerous time. She was traveling along with her 14-month-old daughter, Lulu Bell. No! I know where this is going. And the pair waved goodbye to her father, Henry Dwight, and headed on their way to her cousins, who lived in Payne County. Her father had been expecting Kathy to write back upon her arrival. That letter never came. Oh, 
Well, on this train ride, Kathy made a friend with Franny Norton, who was a well-known prostitute. Kathy doesn't judge. No. But maybe she should have. No! Franny! Oh. Oh. Franny invited Kathy to her brother-in-law's home, whose name was William Moore, in in Clinton, Oklahoma. And rather than continuing straight to her cousin's house, Kathy went with her new friend. Probably something I would not do had I just escaped my abusive ex-husband and also had a 14-month-old with me. But also we live in a different town. The next morning, Franny took Kathy and Lulu on a ride in a buggy, so like a horse and buggy, near Dead Creek. And so there's like this big field, there's a creek, they're going to go for a ride around there, have some fun. They were supposed to come back together in three hours. Instead, only one came back in two. Oh my god. Back home, Kathy's father was starting to get worried. It had been days he hadn't heard back, and so he hired a detective named Sam Bartell just to uncover clues and figure out what was going on. Sam had found that the buggy had driven down to the creek. It had gone down there. And an like hour later... Statements? Is that how you feel Yeah, for people who, who lived around, he, like, gathered this information. He did some questioning. So he had found that it did drive down there. And it left with one wheel trailing blood behind. So someone saw that and was like, eh, ain't none of my business. Or someone saw the trail of blood later. Okay. I guess. Mm-hmm. Little Lulu had been given to a member of Don Bouchard's family. So like a farmer boy. Um, was by a woman. A woman just dropped off little baby Lulu with this farmer boy and left. Whack. The baby was wrapped in a bloody dress, but was alive and unharmed. Okay, but now this farmer boy has no excuse. You were handed a baby in a bloody dress by a woman. Does he know this woman? I don't know. And says nothing to nobody. Is like, yeah, this is on the up and up for sure. Well, well, here's the thing. The tr- word Maybe. did travel slowly. So he might have gotten this baby and be like, um, family, what are we doing with this now? And it might have just taken a while for things to get going. Okay. Yeah, because it's like, depending on where he lives, he could have no neighbor close by for like maybe five miles. So who knows? I don't. After leaving, it was said that the same woman had ditched what turned out to be a pile of more bloody clothes in some bushes nearby. So they did that some investigate like the area and they found this. Frame this family or someone in this family. Now here's the thing. Franny never admitted to killing Kathy. But during her first questioning, she excused herself to the bathroom and poisoned herself. Girl, what? Taking all of her secrets to the grave, Mm. she did, however, claim that she left both Lulu and Kathy with the Farmer family unharmed. That's why she poisoned herself, because she was so innocent. I'm just a regular, innocent woman. But first, let me go to the bathroom real quick and freshen up, Chug Cyanide. Unless she was afraid of the family. Hmm. 
It is important to note that prior to this event, Franny had been acquitted of shooting a bartender in the back. So it wasn't her first run-in with the law. Girly. It would be a few weeks later when a local fisherman named George Cunell would find the skull and skeleton of Kathy in the creek by what was a wagon crossing. The skull had a bullet hole by her right ear. And it turns out that Franny's gun was missing. And when it turned up, it was near that body, missing a cartridge. It's only been a few weeks, though. How is how is Kathy's body already down to the bone? Um, I'm not certain. I mean, maybe scavengers, but still. It's... Yeah, because if mm-hmm. it's in a creek, you'll find, like, a lot of critters will come also actually never mind i don't know anything about oklahoma's air uh how the climate of oklahoma is but some bodies will just decompose real fast i'm just trying to figure why because of Literally, depending like on you see some woman with a little kid on a train and you're like yeah like did she plan on killing her the whole time that's such a long con so What a coroner's jury eventually ruled is that Franny had killed Kathy in an attempted robbery gone wrong. However, again, uh, Franny brought her answers as to why with her to the grave. That seems like, why would you wait a whole day to rob her? That's so much work. Get to a secluded area. I guess, but couldn't you have found somebody else who was already closer to a secluded area? And also, like, surely you guys chatted. You know she's post-divorce. Like, what about that screams I've got money? There are still some questions about whether others were involved, you know, like Kathy's husband or if Franny's brother were involved at all. But again, we don't have those answers. Yeah, that's weird too because he she brought her she brought Kathy to his house, her brother-in-law's house. So like when she came back, you didn't have any questions. Got to imagine that this guy doesn't ask questions, especially if she was accused of like shooting someone in the back before. I don't know if this was like regular behavior for her that she was just out there doing random stuff. True. Or so maybe she is... said, "Oh, I dropped her back off." Yeah, maybe. Today, there is a um, bridge, that highway underpass, where the wagon crossing used to be over Deer Creek. It is said that Kathy's ghost haunts the bridge searching for her baby. Aww. Oh my god. This is why the bridge is also nicknamed Crybaby Bridge. People claim to hear wagon wheels creaking, a baby crying, and a lady screaming into the dark of night. A number of people have also just recorded strange sounds around the bridge and different kind of paranormal activity. One researcher who was doing a school project claims to have seen a blue light emerging from the stream and coming towards her. Perhaps Kathy's spirit reaching out for help. Whether or not you believe in ghosts, Dead Woman's Crossing holds a sad tale. Yeah, oh my god. Oh my god. Can you imagine just, like, divorcing your husband and you're like, I kind of want to start a new life with my baby. So you go out, like, 
Where'd she start off again? I only remember Oklahoma. Like, was she... Where is she statewise um, again? She, I believe she was still in Oklahoma. I think she was just traveling across a different county. Okay, just moving, like... Just imagine moving elsewhere, and you're like, I'm going to feel better about myself. I'm going to be, like, meeting new people and things. And you make a friend, and then she kills you? That's so sad. Like, maybe the husband did hire her, like, to kill his wife. But then also, like, I imagine, did he hire her to also kill the daughter, and she couldn't do it? Or... The daughter's Yeah, the baby's, the baby's alive, safe. but, like, was the original intent to kill the baby as well? And she couldn't bring herself to oh, do God. it? Or did he want her to give him the baby back? Because, like, like, a really horrible custody thing maybe he was just like kill my wife i don't care what maybe. happens to the baby sort of deal maybe i don't know he if he's abusive anything could be up in that little nasty brain of his but we'll never it does know. seem like a hell That's of a so coincidence sad. that as mm. you get on a train just as you've divorced your husband a woman is there planning to kill you it's a pretty and big it's coincidence. very odd yeah, the whole thing's weird. Man. <laughs> Crazy. Well, I have a slightly less sad story. Mine is just really wild. Oh. We're going to talk about puckwudgies, kind of the American brownie, <laughs> but they are so much more than that. Uh, they are considered one of the oldest mythical creatures in North America, and their first written reference, because indigenous nations often had an oral tradition long before written uh, is in the Song of mm. Hiawatha, an 1855 epic poem written by Henry Wads Henry Wadsworth Long Free Long Freelow. He has a long name. A wild name. <laughs> a wild what a name. weird name. Quote: Far and wide among the nations, spread the name and fame of Quasind. No man dared to strive with Quasind. No man could compete with Quasind. But the mischievous Pukwudgies. They, the envious little people, they, the fairies and the pygmies, plotted and conspired against him. Unquote. What a wild reference. So, what what is a Pukwudgie? Where is a Pukwudgie from? So, the Pukwudgie as a story, as a creature, comes from several different indigenous cultures. The Wampanoag in Delaware, Prince Edward Island, and parts of Indiana have stories of the Pukwudgie, the Algonquin, which are in New England, east of the Rockies in Canada, like the east, you know, if you're cutting that down, uh, the Great Lakes region, and also down the Atlantic coast and to the, all the way down to the upper south, as well as the Mohicans, who are Hudson River Valley, River Valley, excuse me, Western Mass, northern connecticut and parts of pennsylvania and new jersey just to kind of give you an idea of the scope of this legend like that it's all over the eastern side of the new england the north american map so what what is a pukwudgie also known as a bagwajinini but pukwudgie is most common i just feel like a bagwajinini is such a cool word i have to mention it <laughs> pukwudgie is fun to say Bagwajinini is also fun to say. Very we fun. We love these words. Uh, Pukwaji or Bagwajinini translates to little man of the woods that vanishes or also just person of the wilderness. 
Pukwudgies are usually referenced to be about two to three feet tall. Some stories put them no bigger than knee height, so like a toddler size. Small. They are said to be found in areas that have other forms of paranormal activity, which will be interesting later. And also in woods and marshes where one would expect to find a creature like this. I have a picture of sure. one right here. Does it have fire? Yes, that's part of what they can do. So they have all... Oh, wonderful. Of course. They have all kinds of abilities. Wow. Uh, they can use magic. Uh, they're specifically referenced as being able to create fire just like out of magic. They can appear and disappear at will. Very, like, will-o'-wisp kind of vibes. Uh, they can shapeshift. Most commonly, they take the form of, like, a half-troll, half-human-looking thing, but looks like a porcupine from the back. I don't know if that's, like, they wear porcupine skins or if they are, like, yes, this, and have, like, a porcupine quill on their back. They have large noses, ears, and fingers, and they have, like, gray, smooth skin. Very animalistic. And they can shapeshift. And they can shapeshift into dangerous animals, cougars, bears, things like that. They can also be like a half-human, half-animal kind of looking thing. But I do not see any stories about them shifting fully into people or into a person that already exists. I don't know if that's a thing they can do or a thing they can't do. Don't know. They sound so much like a D&D &D monster. Like something you would fight in D&D. &D. Right. Put this guy in your campaign now. Guys, you're going to be fighting a puck wedgie next. <laughs> I honestly thought you did put a picture of a porcupine because you didn't scroll down all the way. And I was like, why is Kelsey about to show us a picture of a porcupine? And now I'm like, oh, never mind. The pieces are going together now. They are also known to have power over the spirits of the people they've killed. I don't know if that's like a, it increases their magical power kind of thing. I'm not really sure what that means. That's some necromancy stuff right there. It is. They are known to do all kinds of crazy shit. Let's go over some of them. They are known to lure people to their deaths, launch poison arrows, use sand to blind their victims... <laughs> persuade a victim to commit suicide i don't know how oh that's different from luring people to their deaths but they do that kidnap children and also they have a sweet floral scent what they like a perfume to lure I, people i like how this starts off with oh i'm gonna make this guy like fall down a ditch and he dies or go like you know what you should do? Kill yourself. But also, please give me that bottle of the perfume you have on your desk. Because I think it would be really cool and it smells really nice. What? I have to say, I keep imagining, like, when you said sand to buy their victims, I just imagine a guy, like, scuttling him going, Wacha! just throwing a handful I of think sand. so. I think they do that. With the sound effect, wacha. <laughs> and they're also known to generally just play tricks mostly nasty tricks mostly inconvenient tricks on people like All those of, evil fairies type yes of stuff. very evil mm. fairy most of the worst stuff is usually and i stress usually not done unprovoked like you have to annoy one for them to do anything crazy usually though it depends on the story in the region 
Uh, I am convinced that Pukwudgie stole my parents' keys one year. It was winter. <laughs> Both my parents, who have never lost their keys ever, they're not, they have one spot for them. They're never not there. Both of them lost their sets of car keys. So two separate sets of keys were lost within a week's time. And it's winter outside. So my dad's convinced he lost them in the snow. And we're looking, we're looking, we can't find them. Then the snow melts. You think, oh, yeah, the keys will be there. No. My dad even put, took a metal detector outside to try and find his keys. Gone. My mom's keys eventually oh my returned. God. My dad's keys gone to this day. No idea. Both cars are home. They have to be somewhere in the home general vicinity. Gone. Don't know what he did. I don't know what he did. Yeah, What? well, it's your dad. I feel like he would have done something. Your mom, they were probably just like, oh, she has collateral damage. And then they were like, actually, we feel bad. You may have your keys back. But this guy, screw him. Screw that guy. But like I said, usually you have to do something to annoy them. Sometimes they just fuck with you for Because they're bored. What else are they going to do? Because they're bored. There is, as we have gone over the things they are known to do, there is clearly a range of, like, violence. There clearly a range of things that they will do to people. Truly seems to depend on the story that it originates from. Some areas consider Pukwudgies relatively harmless or even sometimes helpful. And others consider them very murderous, very, very antagonistic. Do not go near one. Also depends, again, what a person might have done to annoy a Pukwudgie. If you, like, go come up in their space, if you try to bother them, or if they just don't like you, I guess. Most of the Algonquin stories kind hmm. of label them as violent if disrespected, but fine if you just leave them alone. And the Great Lakes tribes usually see them as mischievous, but generally harmless. If Puck, if you are of the belief that Pukwudgies exist, that could even be like a difference in tribe, a tribe of Pukwudgies. Some of them are like, yeah, whatever. And some of them are just more antagonistic. They were all, in fact, once considered friendly towards humans but then turned against them and are now best left alone. Interesting. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, yes. One story from the Wampanoag tribe explains how this came to pass. They believe that the Pukwudgies began causing mischief out of jealousy for the affection the Wampanoag people had for Maushop. That's my best attempt at pronouncing that. M-A-U-S-H-O-P. A mythic hero and giant who would eventually exile the Pukwudgies and spread them about North America, though many would find their way back. And the Pukwudgies have been enemies of humans ever since. Because they sided with the enemy. Sided with the enemy. Side note, Maushop, his own story, also created the landmass now known as Cape Cod. Like, pulled it out of the sea, I think. I... He went, I would like some more space, please. Okay, Maui. Slay. Very Maui. The Pukwudgies are also said to have retaliated against Mausha by killing his five sons. Damn. Oh, my God. And some tellings of the story even have them killing Maushop himself, which I think is a very interesting from purely a metaphorical standpoint of these very small gremlin-like creatures gathering together to murder this, like, giant mythical hero because he was, like, very literally a giant in the stories. Yeah. Very crazy. Little man wins. Little man. 
I like how you say that some tellings of the story have them killing him, but they're like, the sons, definitely. But him, it's debatable. <laughs> Did they kill him? I don't know. That, yeah, that seems to be what it is. A lot of these are oral traditions, so some people tell the story differently. Oh, that's true. Pukwudgies remain a part of American culture to this day, and mostly in the New England area, but also, again, where a lot of these First Nations once resided or still reside. Many have reported seeing them coming from the woods in Massachusetts. Police in Freetown, Massachusetts, have even put up a Pukwudgie crossing sign near the Freetown State Forest. I love it. That's great. Oh, I love that. But also... Remember when I said Pukwudgies tend to hang out in areas that have other signs of paranormal activity? Fun fact, Freetown State Forest is also a part of Fall River, Massachusetts, where Lizzie Borden may or may not have murdered her parents with an axe in the 1890s and may or may not still reside in the home as a ghost. Or, did she kill her parents or was it Pukwudgies? I have to ask that question now. <laughs> was it the Pukwudgies? I think no. I think no. Like, maybe they would murder people, but probably not with an axe. I don't see that <laughs> happening. That would be crazy. It's really dramatic for them. Um, it's called teamwork, Kelsey. Makes the dream work. This is far from the only Pukwudgie activity in this area, though. There is a 100-foot cliff known as the Ledge, which is known to be the site of several suicides. It's a popular, I hate to say a popular suicide destination, but that's what it is. And some believe that some of these deaths have been caused by Pukwudgies, either luring people to their deaths or, again, convincing them to commit suicide. This Pukwudgies luring people to their deaths or convincing them to commit suicide is not like a modern take on Pukwudgies, as far as I can tell. This is something they have been known to do. It's interesting that that kind of blends in with things that are happening in the area. Not cool, Pukwudgies. Take of that what Not you cool. will. Take of that what you will. I am saying maybe a sign that says, hey, if a short troll man told you to kill yourself, don't. I feel like that's a little insensitive, though. Or like, it's a little insensitive. But, or like a, hey, like if a, if a short that's gray the- man told you that this is the way back to town, it is not. Giant, there is a cliff here. Stay back. I'm sure there are signs. There have to be signs, which is why I think it's probably this not like Pukwudgies. like Will-O-Wisp kind of deal. never know. Another weird thing is that one woman in Massachusetts claimed to have seen a Pukwudgie in the forest who she left alone. To be clear that she stayed, she didn't go near it, she left it alone, but apparently decided to taunt her by tapping her window at night, all night, just tapping at her window while she slept, and this would continue on and off until she moved away. This was not a one-night situation. That's annoying. That's annoying. So, again, Pukwudgies usually will leave you alone if you leave them alone. Truly seems to depend on the guy. Truly seems to depend on the Pukwudgie. If he just doesn't like the way you look. He doesn't like your vibe. This guy really went like, your vibes are off. I'm going to come into your house. I'm going to throw rocks at your window. Like, that whole... (laughs) You know what it kind of makes me think of? Um, the Yule Lads. Yes, it's kind of like that. But way... Like, I th- I did some research. Some people say that Pugwatchies live, like, a couple of hundred years. 
But even then, you're going to waste a whole, several nights in a row of your life tapping at this woman's window who did nothing to you? Like, you're going to waste your time doing that? I'm that level of petty. I am that level of petty. I'm just saying. I could be a Pugwashi. What are they going to do for the rest of their lives, Kelsey? Like, can you imagine? I've had enough of frolicking in the woods. I would like to bother some human beings. Maybe it truly is just that. You got nothing better to do. Just a, just a little messed up guy deciding to mess some things around for real. That's crazy. Pugwudgies are also apparently referenced in the Harry Potter pantheon as a symbol of at Ilvermorny School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Like there's a Pugwudgie as one of their house symbols, which I did not know. So Pugwudgies, they they be everywhere. Although I will say in uh somebody... This is for the American Hogwarts, right? Quote unquote. I believe so. I will say whoever did mm. this maybe didn't do a lot of research into puck wedges because apparently, you know how each of the houses like have like traits they're associated with? Uh, yeah. The puck <laughs> one is like loyalty and kindness. And I'm like, no, babe. No. I mean, looks at the author. Anyways, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of stuff going on with that. Like, I can respect Harry Potter as like a series because childhood stuff, but... With how things are going now, I'm like, no thanks. I'm going to greatly make fun of it. Mm -hmm. So, Ooga Booga, I don't know. This is the same lady who was, like, um, referencing in her stories, at least in the American Hogwarts version. I don't remember what it's called or whatever. Where she's like, Native Americans were savages until we came over and taught them magic. And it's like, girl, shut up. Shut up. The Pukwudgie with a fireball in his hand. Am I a joke to you? Huh. Get fireballed, idiot. No matter what stories different regions had of Pukwudgies, be they murderous or simply a nuisance, the general consensus remains. Leave that alone. <laughs> Although yeah. that one lady didn't do anything. She says she didn't do anything. Maybe she did do something. I don't... I choose to believe her that she did nothing. I, I found nothing about what to do if a Pukwudgie starts, like screwing with you like makes it its mission to make your life miserable found nothing about what to do if that were the case i wanted to like be able to say hey if you guys if our lovely listeners come across a fuckwaji and they start bugging you here's what to do i don't know i couldn't find anything they maybe <laughs> kill the giant may i don't know what to do babe it's maybe there's away now just just go girly leave I no. guess you could try the brownie thing of like leaving some milk and honey out and hoping for the best. I that's mixing cultures. I don't know if that'll help. I got nothing though, so I feel like it's worth a shot. I feel like giving a peace offering might be your best bet. Where you're just like here, worst case scenario, they're just gonna like you know how animals when you feed them and they're just like free food. Thou hast free food, and they might come back, but it's like. That might make it worse, though, because then more Pukwudgies could come, and then if you ever stop feeding them, then you get even in even more trouble. I don't know. I tr I was like, oh, no, I should say, like, what you're supposed to do if a they burn down your house. If they you stop might. They them. could. I tried to, like, I was like, I got to tell people what to do if a Pukwudgie comes. I don't know. I couldn't find anything. Somebody in the comments, if you know, like, to what to do if there's a Pukwudgie asking for a friend. I would like those keys back. Oh, wait, Annalise, I didn't say where our table was. I didn't say where the table was. Our table is, uh, <laughs> where is it? It's in a marsh, and there's, like, little snuffling noises. 
all in the woods behind us, but you will only see shadows. That's where our table is for Pukwudgies. You see shadows that kind of look like porcupines, but you don't know if they're actual porcupines yes. or not. Gamers, I am sinking into the mud. Yes, yes. You're like, did I stumble into a porcupine den? No, babe. No, you didn't. Girl, we're about to get into an accident, aren't we? Who are going to be in trouble? We're about to. Ha <laughs> I'm girl, in danger. Girl, we get in trouble. So our next story is about the Bell Witch, which is the inspiration behind the Blair Witch Project, which originates from Robertson County, Tennessee. And so I'm going to imagine that our table is at Bell Farm, where this takes place. And we're like out in the fields. It's night. It's night in all of these. Um, It's dark. It's a little spooky. And we're seeing shadows and odd creatures emerging every so often. The Blair Witch Project was a really good movie. Sure, it's kind of cringe now that everyone's done the found mm-hmm. footage thing oh, ad nauseum, but it is a great movie. So let's start our story back at the beginning, around the 1800s, with the Bell family. So John Bell moved his wife and four children from North Carolina to Robertson, Tennessee in 1804. Um, I believe the town is called something different. I'm not even positive Robertson is the right one. It gave like three different names. So how would you go lines moving. Yeah. So there they would take over a 320-acre farm. They would have three more children while they lived also, there. Also, wow. That's a lot of kids. And John Bell would join the Red River Baptist Church, making himself part of the community. So you got seven kids, you got a wife, you have a farm that's, you know, thriving. I will say they were wealthy, so they did have slaves. I mean, you have to be wealthy to to have a 320-acre farm. That's a lot of land. So all seemed to be going well for the family. And it wouldn't be until 1817 when strange things started happening. That's interesting that it waited like 13 years to really do anything. John claims that one night while walking the fields, he saw an animal with the body of a dog and the head of a rabbit. He shot at it, and then it vanished. What did I say about the puckwudgies, man? You gotta leave them alone. This would actually be within a Pukwudgie, like, territory. Like, if you believe the areas that have stories of the areas they reside, this falls in it. Could have been a Pukwudgie. I'm just saying. I don't know. That's a that's a messed up creature. I feel like Pukwudgies would at least know what animal they're going to transform into. They'll be like, maybe he was fucking oh, I know with what him. I'm like, doing. I know what I'm they doing. They definitely were known to shapeshift into weird creature-looking things, so... I know what it is. I already know what it is. It's a Pukwudgie. Just like the dogs in very the tapestry room at the Isabella Gardner Museum. Messed up So dog. soon after this, um, Drew Bell, one of the sons, would report seeing a strange bird. I don't have more detail on this. Just that Pukwudgie it was a strange again. bird. <laughs> and then Betsy, one of the daughters, the youngest daughter, in fact, would see a girl hanging in the forest with a green dress. No evidence that a Pukwudgie can transform into a girl, but maybe if it was from a distance, it could still be a Pukwudgie. I'm just saying. 
Just just a very little girl. So the family started to hear like odd knocking here and there. Blankets would be pulled off from beds. Strange animals. Um, in general, these are things that, besides the hanging incident, these are kind of things that could be pretty easily explained away. I mean, the house settling, the blanket got caught on something. There are different kinds of animals wandering around. I mean, you know, maybe Betsy, it was just her imagination. She was seeing things in the dark, maybe some paranoia. Maybe it was Papuajis. The family started to hear chains dragging across the floor. The sounds of someone choking and rats chewing at their bedposts. Things would then start to escalate to violence. Betsy, as mentioned, John's youngest daughter, saw some of the worst of it with scratches and welts, feelings of pins being stuck into her, and she couldn't escape these paranormal beatings. John Bell himself was also said to have received the worst treatment. But we'll get back to that. Just saying, Pukwudgies can go invisible too. They're about little kid height. This could be a Pukwudgie situation. Yo, they really said, fuck them kids. I mean, they're known fuck to kidnap children. They, like, they are not above beating a kid. Okay, but like kidnapping, I don't know. I feel like they'd be more belligerent towards adults. Like, um, you should kill yourself or mm, you should fall into that hole over there and break your ankles and die. I don't know. I feel like with kids, they'll be like, yeah, get kidnapped, lol. It'll be really funny, lol. It'll be a silly little trick. But like, this is a little much. For a kid, I don't know. She was a young teen at this time. We'll get into it. Ah, she wasn't like a a, a, like a eight year old. Never mind. She's free game, I guess. Double digits. They said, "Double digits, baby." So one night, the family decided that they couldn't keep this a secret anymore. John talked about the hauntings to his friend James Johnson, who decided that he and his wife would stay over for the night. Insane, but okay. Yeah, the couple was, like, skeptical, though. So they're like, you know what, to make you feel better, like, we'll come along, we'll see what's happening, see if we can explain it away. So they were skeptical, but according to the Bell Witch site, because there is an official site, which will be linked. Of course. They were subjected to the same terrifying disturbances that the Bells had been experiencing. After their bed covers were yanked off and James was slapped, he sprang out of bed exclaiming, In the name of the Lord, who are you and what do you want? The rest of the night was quiet, and James came to believe that this was an evil spirit like those written about in the Bible. It's better than those horror movies where, like, you get somebody else into the situation and then nothing happens. Yeah. And then, like, the second they close the door, like, the ghost fucking, like, dumps a bookcase over or something. <laughs> you nope. thought I was gone? Knocks it over. Hey, besties. I'm still here. That is... I don't know. Him being, like, in the name of the Lord, who are you and what do you want? And their spirit really went... Here's the thing. The spirit started to have a little bit of fun with that, and it started to quote the Bible and would quote sermons that were being preached the day of, like, miles away. And then it started just, like, singing hymns. That's so creepy because, like, the usual, like, if somebody's possessed or something, the idea is that they can't 
uh, they can't remember anything from the Bible or they can't speak anything from the Bible or sing hymns because like the demon can't do it. So like it's it seems like it's even like above a demon. So it was around this time. I think that the family... right. Maybe it is a Pukwudgie. Could be a Pukwudgie. I don't know if they know how to read. Well, that's a fair point. It was around this time that the Bell family allegedly had a famous visitor. So three of the sons, John Jr., Drew, and Jesse, had been fighting in the Battle of New Orleans under Major General Andrew Jackson. Oh, my who God. Who is, as you have probably oh guessed, the Andrew Jackson, a.k.a. the United States 7th President. Oh, my goodness. This guy was oh wild, too, if I remember my history class correctly. He is crazy. This man is insane. And so the rumors about this whole haunting had started to spread so far across the country that Jackson in 1819 went, sure, let's go investigate it. That's all I would do. I know he's not president right now, but that's all I would do as president. If you elect me to the Oval Office, I will go to every haunted location in America and I will investigate it personally. That is the only thing in the name of the president. This is my announcement of running for the 2024 election. This is my campaign. Wait, but we're not 35. We're not old enough. We have to be 35 for that one. Hold on. So as he and his men approached the property, their wagon got stuck in a creek bed and the horses just couldn't pull it out. Allegedly, Andrew said, by the eternal boys, that must be the Bell Witch. That's what I said. once named, the witch whispered to Jackson that they could go and that she would see them later. Did she cheeky. say it in like a sexy way? Like, I'll see you later. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> oh, you can go and then I'll later. see you later. Don't worry about it. <laughs> or in like a threatening oh way. Like, you're next. Oh my God, General <laughs> Jackson. Oh my God. I'll see you later. <laughs> That's goofy. Love that she just dismissed future president. She was like, you can go. You're excused. You're like but normal. I'll see you later. Well. He's not normal, but anyways. It was only after this that the wagon was able to be unstuck. My God. Bro, that's crazy. The group would set up camp that night by the house, and one man, claiming to be a witch tamer, armed himself with a silver bullet that was said to be able to kill evil spirits. That's werewolves. Okay, well, maybe it's got other uses. Maybe he How does one claim to be a witch tamer? Does one claim to be related to one of the witch finders from like the Salem witch trials? Or do you just say you're a witch tamer? I don't know. But after it's a couple of hours, this guy, cocky as hell, was like, the witch is scared of my silver bullet, which is why we haven't even heard of her. Well, boys, don't issue a challenge that you're not ready to meet. Don't write checks Uh-oh. that your body can't cash. You're going to get it was then that one of the men started to jerk around saying that he was being hit and struck with pins and the witch called out that there was another fraud among them who she would torture the next night i love that she's like look i'm a witch but how dare you try to fraud these people (laughs) damn 
The men I were begging to leave at this point. The men were like, please, can we go? Like, I don't want to be here. And Jackson went, no, we're going to stay. I want to know which one of you is the fraud. I mean, yeah, it's like a it's like a Netflix thing. Like when the season finale ends on a cliffhanger, you can't just leave. You need to binge the next season. They did stay the next night. Allegedly. Again, this is all allegedly what happened. We don't know if Andrew Jackson actually visited it or not. But here is what they said. Jackson would say, quote, I would rather fight the British at New Orleans than fight the Bell Witch. End quote. Wasn't Jackson during Damn. the, like, Civil War? Why is he fighting the British in New Orleans? Uh, he was, there was, okay. He was during the Civil there War. Was something about the Civil that. War. He did fight many battles before because he had a traveling army, and the British would come and try to take over territories, and America was like, mm, we don't want to do that. We don't want you to take, like, this land. We want it for ourselves. So Jackson would go ape shit. Ah, okay. <laughs> they were like, bring in the berserker. That one. Bring him in, boys. And sometimes he'd do it when he wasn't supposed to. Of course he did. Of course. I so wish somebody mm. had asked him about this, like, on official presidential record. Yeah. Because that, that stuff's so well recorded, we would have it. So back to the Bell family. Because are they they're still Bell. living here during all of this? Yes. Yes, they are. That's a lot of land. So it, it would mean, be hard I, to I get move. So back to the family. John Bell was tormented by the spirit. His face would twitch. He would have issues swallowing. And as the years went on, it got even worse. Eventually, in the fall of 1820, he was housebound due to his declining health. And the witch loved messing with her captive victim. She would take his shoes away while he was trying to walk. And after experiencing seizures, she would have a little fun slapping him around and would tauntingly call him Old Jack Bell. Ooh, because they married. John died on December 20th of that year. He had fallen to a coma that he never woke from. Okay, so, okay. Facial tics, issues swallowing steadily getting worse seizures coma that sounds more like like a heavy metal poisoning or something like that to be honest we'll get to that okay after his death a vial of poison would be found in the cupboard and john jr tested the liquid on a cat which died after consuming two drops oh my god dude why cat because they don't give a fuck, I guess. Like, yeah, back in the olden days, they were just like, I don't give a shit. PETA should be on their ass. Anyways. Anyways. Apparently, the witch called out that she had given John the poison to fix him. When okay. the vial was thrown into the fire, it burned blue. Oh, my God. Okay, and you know who Kelsey just... Kelsey's right on the dot with this yeah, one. Yeah, because you know who just Googled heavy metals that turn blue when don't, you burn them? Don't! Don't! Okay, okay, I won't! I won't! I won't! I won't! We're gonna get to it, Bessie! Ah, God damn it! <laughs> I got you I'm a poison. So ahead. I mean, I got I'm... you something to get fixed. Oh. I won't. I get won't say anything. Up, buddy. But I am, I am barely being contained over here. His funeral drew a huge crowd, and it was one of the largest that the community had ever seen. Two Methodist and one Baptist preacher had traveled from other towns to eulogize him. 
as the procession made their way to the graveyard, the witch was heard laughing and singing about Brandy. Good for her. I'm I'm kidding, obviously. That's crazy. Oh, crazy. <clears throat> What's weird about all of this is that Lucy Bell, John's wife, wasn't beaten, but instead was given grapes and hazelnuts when she was sick that she was then, like, told to eat as the witch just, like, sang to her. Aw. I mean, are we sure this John guy was, like, on the up and up? Some people... Probably had a good public image, but at home was an awful person. Yeah, some people theorize that the Bell Witch had, like, specific victims that she kind of chose and was nice to other people. One Bell Witch researcher said that... This might have been more of like an emotional, abusive kind of thing where it's like, oh, I'll be nice to you, but I will torment your entire family as you watch and can't do anything about it. There was also a theory that Lucy Bell was really like strong and healthy. I mean, she birthed seven children and lived through it in the 1800s. And so it was kind of like her body Mm. was strong and so she couldn't hurt her with her body. And so instead it was going to be like some mind games. Mm, plot twist she is the bell witch just like scooby-doo i don't know unless so continuing on i mentioned that betsy seemed to be one of the witch's main targets well some believe that this is due to betsy's relationship with the neighbor joshua gardner oh girl The two had become interested in each other and after receiving their parents blessings they were engaged The witch would constantly demand that Betsy not marry Joshua, continuously beating her as she made these demands. Um. Okay. Eventually, Betsy couldn't take it anymore. And on Easter Monday, 1821, she broke off her engagement. I mean, yeah, I probably would too. The witch left, but she promised Lucy Bell that she would be back in seven years which is a promise that she kept. In 1828, she returned and then focused on John Bell Jr., the eldest son. For some reason, they were, like, really chill. (laughs) What? To quote the Bell Witch site, the entity discussed the origin of life, civilizations, Christianity, and the need for major spiritual reawakening. She also apparently predicted the Civil War... Interesting. Hmm? Very different from what the family was experiencing before. Well, I mean, the Hmm. John Bell Sr. is dead now. I feel like there was some specific beef with him and also Betsy. Maybe now that Betsy's quote-unquote in her place and John is dead, there's like a different vibe. She's like, I'm normal now. I had a Snickers. <laughs> you're not you I'm when okay you're hungry. Now. <clears throat> you're not you when you're hungry. And she's like, I've been starving for so long. Your husband's been keeping the Snickers away. And Bessie also kept stealing the Snickers. God damn it. She's Just hungry kidding. for drama. Um, yeah. Yeah, for real. She really went like, fuck this one. Fuck that one. This one, I'm going to ruin mentally. She's going to get dementia. And this one, he's fine. That's weird. Soon after her reappearance, she would leave again, but not before promising that she would be back. But this time, it wouldn't be for another 107 years. 
So supposedly she would be back in like 1935. And she said she would visit the most direct descendant of John Bell. Oh my God. Hello? I thought, wow. This descendant would be Dr. Charles Bailey Bell, John Bell's great-grandson. He was a neurologist living in Nashville at the time. The year before the fated return, Dr. Bell would publish a book about the Bell Witch in her promised return for the next year. In this book, he would have accounts from John Bell Jr. and his conversations with the witch in 1828. Now, we actually don't know that the Bell, Bell Witch did return to talk to him. He never publicly stated so, and he eventually passed in 1945. I feel like if you're going to publish a whole book about it the year before, you would tell us if she did show up. You gotta follow up. <laughs> I think she went like, oh, damn it, this was supposed to be a surprise. I thought you guys were going to get off guard, but now you wrote a book? I'm leaving. This isn't fun anymore. I don't know. That's... Passing 10 years after publishing the book, assuming that he... Well, he yeah, would have been did. older. True, but I'm also like, 10 years... Right after. I don't know. I just go, hmm. So, what were these hauntings? Some believe that it may have been Betsy Bell's teacher, Richard Powell. This man was in love with her despite their 11-year age difference. Um, I hate to yucky. be that person, but that probably wouldn't have been <clears throat> super weird back then either. As gross as it is now. If it was outside of school, I'd let it be a little more. But because it's in school and he's like, oh, you're my student and I'm in love with you. I'm like, mm. even for the times, I'm like. It was said that if anyone in the community could have pulled off a stunt like this, it would have been him. He was said to have a talent with ventriloquism, had a knowledge of horror culture and the occult. I was going to say the like conversations with john jr seemed very educated here's the real kicker he actually did end up marrying betsy after oh her engagement God. was called off are you rocking my socks right now oh my god did okay betsy this is a little though? that is literally all i have for the theory probably oh my god Maybe not, because I feel I feel like he would keep the occult stuff to himself, you know? I feel like he wouldn't be like, um, remember that time when, like, you got beaten and, like, harassed by the Bell Witch because you were about to That's marry true. this Betsy guy? Was like, I did that, like. <laughs> Betsy was one of the people who were most targeted with the physical violence, too. That's, like, kind of icky if it was him. Yeah. Yeah. Don't marry him, well, bam. So Sick I did want to put another tidbit in before I come to some of the other um, theories. There was mentioned that a reverend, James Gunn, had made contact with the spirit during the time of all these hauntings at that like three year span um, and said that the name that he got was Kate Bats, okay. who was an actual person in the area at the time. Okay. Did we just... That's... Hmm. Mm. I don't know about that. 
Um, she was described as a big woman, strident and coarse. Okay. I guess the connection was later kind of debunked because the spirit then was like in denial that she was Bats, but her name was actually Kate. She's like, yeah, I'm Kate, but I'm not Kate Bats. No, I'm a different <laughs> Kate really Bats. Funny. No, not that one. I'm a different Kate. No. That's really funny. So I have no idea if this was like truly someone, like the spirit of someone who used to live in the area. Who knows? That is like one of the random clues, maybe, that we have. That'd be pretty silly. And so, to come back to what Kelsey was screaming about before, there's another theory from Dr. Megan Mann, a chemistry professor at Austin P. PA? Austin PA? I don't know how to say this. Um, State University. The symptoms could have been caused from heavy metal poisoning, specifically arsenic. Mm-hmm. So that file of poison that turned blue, something that arsenic does. Mm-hmm. Booga booga. She has a theory that someone who didn't like the family, possibly someone from church or one of the many slaves who were on the farm, um, was poisoning John Bell slowly over the three years of the hauntings and then eventually finished the job. I mean, a haunting would be a really good distraction for the symptoms of po- slow poisoning, but it does beg the question, why didn't they kill him more quickly or were they just... How easy know. is it to get arsenic? Pretty easy. Really easy. It was a common easy. medication like, at the time, too, for some things. Oh, that's true. I could see this. Oh, I could see it. I just, it doesn't really explain why Betsy was also really exactly. a target. Unless Betsy was also, like, an enemy of this person. Like, if we go back to the Powell guy, maybe the dad was against them getting married so he had like personal beef with him as well and thought killing him would clear the way for him and betsy as well yeah i don't really get it i think both of these theories leave questions for the other victim it's also like why would you come back in seven years Hmm. yeah and then a hundred seven hundred five i don't know like maybe the person left for seven years or maybe it was someone else that like knew that the witch had said this and took the opportunity but then didn't do anything because john was dead and betsy was doing whatever it's weird if it was a really long hiatus i could definitely see why they'd want to kill john being the like patriarch and probably one of the people who was cruel to them maybe betsy was particularly cruel to the slaves i don't know so there's other siblings that were not mentioned right yeah they yeah, were just yeah. kind of there's there. seven kids yeah so they're just they're just staring with their mom like but they may not have all that? been living there because betsy was the youngest and she was already in her teens so maybe some of them had moved out although Possibly. I don't think they really the the sons may have still been there, but the daughters may have left. Who knows? Honestly, I don't know. That's the true. Exact... I don't know. It is kind of goofy. Kind of I it might possibly be a slave because like voodoo voodoo is something that 
um, slaves have brought over. I don't know a lot about voodoo, but hearing about the pins and needles thing made me go, True. Did, did someone use voodoo dolls? Question mark. And then they just were really good at hiding it? I don't know. And we like, can't deny the possibility that it was a Pukwudgie or several Pukwudgies. Oh, my That's God. true. They really went like, we're going to get- It could be. John the Senior, we're going to get Betsy, and then one of the guys in Jackson's group, and maybe others. They're known to use poisons, sure, on arrows, but, you know. So oh, anyway. that's true. Tiny arrows. Many people still claim to encounter the Bell Witch today. The property is still a farm, and there are rocks marking where the old Bell House used to be. It's no longer standing. Mm. It is private property, so you do have to get permission to visit. So don't just go hopping fences to go check it out. The property also contains what is called the Bell Witch Cave, which is not part of the original story. It is said that a boy had gone into the caves, gotten his head stuck between some rocks, and, you know, he screamed for help, and the cave illuminated, and he was tugged by an invisible force all the way to the cave entrance. Hmm. I think that's a little funny. She's like, you're not, you're not supposed to die. Um, I have other people to go after. I'll, like, help you out. I don't know. I think that's kind of funny. She's like, ah, fine, I'll help out. It's odd. Encounters today range from Virginia to North Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, Arkansas, Texas, and, of course, Tennessee. A descendant of the Bells, Lucy Butler, says that the witch follows her family. She has seen, Hmm. or claims to see, the black dog creature mentioned at the start of the story with the dog body and the rabbit head. She claims to see it Mm. multiple times and that her daughter, Jennifer, used to run around with it at night, giggling and playing. Funky. To her, the Bell Witch was kind, and she thinks that to those that she didn't like, she punished or those who she thought needed to be punished. She said her father, who allegedly had ties to the Florida Mafia, was not on the witch's good side. I can see why. Prior to a house party, they found that their living room was filled with crickets that ruined their brand new stereo system that her father had just bought, which was a luxury in the 1960s when this happened. Crazy. Whack. Oh, my God. So what do you think? Is the witch real? Does she punish those who deserve it? Was Betsy's teacher behind it, wanting her all to himself? Was it revenge from somewhere in the community? Is it all thanks to arsenic? I I think think the arsenic had something to do with his death, regardless of whether or not the witch is true. Mm -hmm. I definitely think that is the case. The symptoms kind of line up too well, and clearly there's arsenic in the house. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that the witch seems to, because whether or not you believe Lucy's story, clearly the witch left some people in the family alone when the, all the events are actually happening. So I feel like it tracks that she only punishes some. I don't know what she thought John did or Betsy did, but she clearly did leave other people alone. I think it's interesting also that she does seem to have returned then. 
and is with this other family, yeah. this other part of the family, just didn't return to John's most direct descendant. Maybe she decided or that, did. or she, or she did, or she did, and then he died, and she moved on to this family. Maybe that actually that timeline would kind of line up. I think it's interesting that she's like specifically on one family, but then other people from other states, not countries, are like stuff like this is happening too. Like, girl, where are you going? That's my big question with where it. Where are you going? Is why this family? What about this family? Because if it was just about punishing John, that that task has ended. Why is she still with this family? That's kind of like I think my it's question. Because. With it. mm-hmm. They moved on to that land, yeah? Like, they, they were the first quote-unquote people. So it's like, maybe it's a Pukwudgie thing, and they're like, you came into our house, we're going to get your ass kind of deal. I don't know. Yeah, but then, like, if they, if she did, if the witch did follow this family, like, why is she still with this family? What about this family? Is she some kind of guardian for the family? That And John was some kind of way behind closed doors, and maybe Betsy was causing trouble somehow also a freak also a freak i don't know yeah maybe probably because it's like again a lot of the personal life isn't mentioned here mm-hmm. so there could be a lot of interpretation um i'm looking at the teacher with like very narrow eyes though because um that's yucky that's weird it is yucky but know. i'm also like i don't want to be that person who's like well it was it was normal for the time but it was normal for the time unfortunately like the age gap and things, totally fair. If like if it was if they didn't meet in the school, no, I'd be I like, yeah, did. that's normal. But I'm like, the way that they met in school, like he was her teacher, makes me go, mm. why would you look at your student and go, I want to marry that one? I don't know. If I was a teacher, I'd be like, no. Anna will never be a youth pastor. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> the worst I'll be gonna be like is, guys, um, remember to treat others with, with respect because your boy Jeezy Christ would do that because he is so cool and that's why he died for your sins so you can respect everyone with respect because in the Old Testament God was like, if you don't follow my rules, kill yourself. But actually, don't do that because that's against my rules. And I don't know, there's a lot that goes on in the Bible, and I'm not gonna dig into that. What a tirade that was. Like. The essential thing is Jesus Christ, <laughs> Je- our boy, Jesus Christ, would be a very cool guy because he respects women and he was a carpenter. So he's like, I know the ways of a working man. I don't know. There's a lot of things about Jesus Christ that um, people nowadays kind of brush over because they're like, um, because uh, I have to put religion into my beliefs, which is like, mm. anyway. I can't say anything about that, but yeah, <laughs> we're going That's on later. We're going on tyrant here. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for these spooky tales and for the Halloween vibes. Ooh. Ooh. Spooky. We, it is fun to kind of switch it up from our normal true crime thing, even though we did have a sprinkling of that in here. So thank you for joining us, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Lock your doors. The puck one, she's gonna get you. No, the puck one, she's gonna get you. And if you see one, push it, leave it push alone. Push your chairs and take care of your napkins and dirty dishes so the puck wedgies don't like slash your tires. Ooh. Good night. Don't let the puck wedgies bite. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.